Father, we thank you for your amazing and unending love in Christ Jesus. And we ask now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and fill our hearts, our lives with that love. Come Holy Spirit, pour out the love of God into our hearts for the glory of the Father, for our freedom and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. All the songs you noticed this morning had a particular theme. Did you notice that? About the love of God and what the love of God does in our lives and how we respond to the love of God and what it means to be those who bear the love of God to the world. And as we continue our message uh, series this morning, we're looking at the love of God and in particular, uh, the love of God demonstrated to us on the cross of Christ. We're going through the Apostles' Creed this morning. We're looking at he was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended to the dead. There are also some other songs about love that you uh, might be familiar with, songs that uh, have been from your past, songs that keep haunting your presence. I don't know. Here's some memorial songs about love. Uh, I want to know what love is. Foreigner. Some of y'all like Foreigner. I think the Randolphs particularly like Foreigner. Y'all went to the concert, didn't you? Journey. Journey concert, sorry. I get those two mixed up a little bit. Um, what about Stevie Wonder? Y'all know this one? Can you sing it with me? I just called to say I love you. Yes, good one. Uh, Neil Diamond, Love on the Rocks. Uh, what, about, what about Tina Turner? Brian wants to help me with this one. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Yep. And we've got uh, Elvis Presley, I Can't Help Falling in Love. Ooh, what about Johnny Lee, A Little Country Western? Y'all remember this one? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Yep. Uh, Captain and Tennille. Love will keep us together. Yeah, the Supremes, baby, baby. Hey, hold on. Okay, wait. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. Ready? Baby, baby. There it is. Uh, will you still love me tomorrow? And maybe the top most memorable songs of all time. Let's sing this. Sing this with me. And I will always love you. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Okay. One of our <laughs> one of our greatest needs as human beings is to be loved. We all need love. We need to know that we are important to somebody. We need to know that somebody cares about us. We need to know that somebody wants us and that we are truly and deeply accepted for who we are. This morning, we're gonna look at uh, four more words in the Apostles' Creed. Crucified, died, buried, and descended. Crucified, died, buried, and descended. And these four aspects of Jesus's death demonstrate God's amazing love for us. This is how we know that God gives us the love that we need. It's how we know that we're important to God, that we matter to God, that God truly cares for us, that God wants us and accepts us. 
In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says it this way. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We believe that he was crucified, died, and was buried, and that he descended to the dead. And as we look at these four ways that Jesus' death demonstrates God's love for us, we're going to see how it truly transforms our lives for the good, for the best. So we begin with, we believe Jesus was crucified. Crucified. That's interesting because of all of the ways for God to remove our sin, why the crucifixion of his son? The crucifixion was the way Romans punished the worst of criminals and particularly the lower class. So, so why crucifixion? Eusebius, who is a third century historian, describes the crucifixion of Christ this way. The sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were opened to exposure. He was then taken to the praetorium where a crown of thorns was thrust on his head. He was forced to carry a heavy crossbar on his bleeding shoulders until he collapsed. When they reached the side of the crucifixion, he was again stripped naked. He was laid on the cross and six inch nails were driven into his forearms just above the wrists. His knees were then twisted sideways so that the ankles could be nailed between the tibia and the Achilles tendon. He was lifted up on the cross, which was then dropped into a socket in the ground. There he was left to hang in intense heat and unbearable thirst, exposed to the ridicule of the crowd. He hung there in unthinkable pain for six hours while his life slowly drained away. It was the height of pain and the depth of shame. Eusebius wrote that somewhere around 250 AD. And it's interesting because you might think the early church would just want to hush up the fact that its founder was crucified as a seditious criminal. But the apostles didn't. The early church didn't want to hush up about the crucifixion. They didn't want to shrink back from its importance because they remembered what Jesus said. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. See, his crucifixion is the moment when his divine glory and his supreme love is most fully revealed. That's why the apostles make Christ crucified central to their message. It's because he wasn't crucified for his own sins as a failed Messiah. He was crucified in our place for our sins to pay the penalty that we deserve. And because Christ was crucified, we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. And that means we can come down off the cross. And it means we don't have to put anybody else up there on it either. Because Jesus 
has already taken our place. In their book called The Cross and Christian Confidence, Alistair and Joanna McGrath describe the impact of the crucifixion and its um, impact on our self-esteem. They make it absolutely clear that nothing should make us feel so good about ourselves as Christ's substitutionary crucifixion on our behalf. They say this, there was no limit to Christ's self-giving for us. His crucifixion marks his total self-giving in that act of love that redeems us. This is how much he values us. He gives everything he has and everything he is for us. That thought must allow us to walk tall, secure in the fatherly love of God toward us. Do you realize how much God loves you? There is no greater love than the love of God demonstrated for you on the cross of Christ. There is no greater love than him who had no sin, who lay down his life and became sin for you that you would be restored to a right relationship with God. Do this with me. Stretch out your arms. Do you know how much God loves you? Say this much. This much. That's it. He loves you that much. That much. Well, secondly, we believe that Jesus died. He wasn't just crucified, but he actually died. He died. Last week, I had the privilege of being an adult leader at Boy Scout camp. And one of my favorite times of the week, every morning and every evening, was flag ceremony. I, I, I love flag ceremony because I love my country. I honor the flag. I pledge allegiance to one nation under God. I pray for our leaders. I vote, and I encourage godly men and women to run for political office. But you know what? America's not my savior. Uncle Sam never hung on a cross and died for my sin. He doesn't forgive my sin. He doesn't redeem my pain. He doesn't heal my soul. And he cannot and will not bring the glorious transformation of all things, including me, including you. Uncle Sam does not love us like Jesus loves us. And so it raises the question, how might we be placing our hope in Uncle Sam rather than the Savior? Y'all, this is really, really important, not just because next week is the 4th of July, but because we're at a time where there's a lot of anxiety in our country about who we are and what we're about and where we're going and how we're going to get there. And what the creed reminds us, because what the apostles remind us and what all the disciples and martyrs remind us is this, that ultimately we do not place our trust in emperors or popes or presidents. We put our trust in Jesus Christ, Savior, Messiah, Lord, who was crucified and died that we might have life. 
not on our own merit, but because of what he has done in our place and our, our behalf. He died that we might live. Do you remember how God covers the guilt and shame of Adam and Eve when they rebel against God in the garden? The consequence of sin is, and life is in the, so God kills an animal and uses its skin to cover their guilt and shame. Rather than destroy Adam and Eve, God graciously destroys a substitute. He kills an animal as the payment for sin rather than kill the sinner. And this is the basis of the entire sacrificial system of worship in the Old Covenant. Without death, there could be no forgiveness. But the death of animals is only a temporary remedy that points to the ultimate solution. The substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 9 says it this way. Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many. There's only one true sacrifice for sin. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you open up your Bible, you start anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, and the result is the same. All roads lead to the cross of Christ. Since sin is the ultimate problem, the death of Jesus is God's ultimate answer. Do you realize how much God loves you? Because he died, we're going to live forever. And that means that we can live every day like it's our last without any fear of death. Because Jesus has made the way for us to live forever. Even though we die, we will live. Because he is the resurrection and the life. So we believe that he was crucified we believe that he died, and we also believe that he was what? Buried. Buried. Have, um, have any of y'all heard of a 360 review? Do y'all know what that is? Uh, some corporations do it. Businesses do it. Um, some churches do it. The idea of 360 is there's a circle, and you put... Uh, a leader in the middle of the circle and you, you allow their bosses and peers and people that work for them um, give um, testimony and um, really feedback uh, on that leader's life. And over the past two months, the Anglican Mission has been doing a 360 review on me. And so uh, there are five people that cover various areas uh, of, of my life that were willing to give themselves uh, to a two-hour phone interview each, and five or six other people that did a, an extensive kind of online survey about me. And then it was compiled, and uh, I was given some feedback with, with Amanda. And sure, it surfaced some strengths, but most significantly, it surfaced some blind spots. 
and some unhealthy patterns of behavior in my life that need healing and need alignment with Christ um, where I can continue to grow in him and in his likeness, right? That's what we do as a disciple. Jesus says, come to me, but he also says, imitate me and continue to do what I have been doing. And so I'm so grateful to belong to an organization committed to the growth and development of its leaders. And now I've got this new, this fresh plan that enables me not only to be more self-aware, but accountable and encouraged to pray for those things in my life that are not of the Lord, that are not conformed to his image, that are not aligned with his kingdom, that I could pray for those things, that they would be crucified that I would die to those things and live for Christ, that those things would be buried and remembered no more, that I could be more like Christ and allow his spirit to continue his mission and ministry through me. I bring that up because oftentimes we think about Jesus' last week on earth and we tend to go straight from his death to his resurrection as if nothing important happens in between. But the creed forces us to stop and to take another look. When Christ went to the grave, he took our sin with him. He took our old nature with him. He took the patterns and habits of the old man with him. And because our sin is buried with Christ, do you know what it means? It means that we can change. It means that we're not powerless to sin. It means that we can be transformed By the righteousness of Christ and become more like him, the creed emphasizes Jesus' burial because his burial enables the profound and radical transformation of our lives. Now, Paul says it this way in Romans 6. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That's what happens when we behold Christ and him crucified, him died and buried for us, when we behold his beauty, when we behold the love of God in Christ demonstrated towards us, we are transformed by his glory. We become more like him when we behold him and his love for us. Jesus was buried with our sin. And that means we don't have to hold on to it. It means we don't have to cherish it anymore. Our sin is buried so that it won't determine our identity. Our sin's buried so that it won't inspire our behavior. Our sin is buried so that it won't define or ruin our relationship with God or with one another. And that means we don't go digging it up. That's the power of the gospel. All our sexual impurity, all of our bitterness, 
all of our hatred and condescension, all of our greed and lust, all of our envy and pride and jealousy and deceit has been buried with Christ in his death. And we've been raised with him in his resurrection, which makes us new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer think or feel or live the way that we once did. When we were in bondage to sin and captive by the enemy, we don't live that way any longer. We have been transitioned out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's precious son. And so now, by the working of the Holy Spirit, we no longer think or feel or act the way we did, we now have the desire and the ability to live for Christ above all else. That means the Spirit gives us the desire and the ability to be loving and joyful and peaceable and patient and kind and good and gentle and self-control. All the fruits of the Spirit are all the attitudes and behaviors of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit gives us the desire and the ability to be conformed to the likeness of him. Isn't that wonderful? Do you realize how much God loves you and the power that love wields in our lives? Because Jesus was buried, we've been relieved of the burden of sin. So we're free to change with the help of the Holy Spirit to become like Jesus. We're able to exchange our sin for his righteousness and to ask the Holy Spirit to make us more like him in every single way. That is so good. Finally, we believe Jesus descended, descended to the dead, to the dead. I think this is... um, an interesting part of the creed um, where the creed uses the active voice, right? Not the passive voice here. He was crucified. He was buried. He died. No, this is the active voice. He descended to the dead. And with the active voice, the creed's making a strong statement. Jesus didn't descend into hell by accident, He descended into hell by God's divine design. He went there intentionally. He was there on purpose. Well, let's look at this purpose. First, the movement is clearly downward. And the context of this is that Jews believe that the souls of the dead go to a place below the earth. And according to the Pharisees, they go there to await the final resurrection. So Jesus descends to hell because he was truly human and therefore fully complied with the human experience. But there's a second reason. Jesus' decision to descend into hell, into the place of the dead, was to proclaim his victory over sin and death and the devil. Now, this aspect of Jesus' death inspired some very creative paintings in the medieval and uh, Renaissance time. This one that's on the screen is uh, called The Descent to Hell. Look at that. Isn't that powerful? I think it captures what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18. 
Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Get this. Jesus descends to the headquarters of evil to destroy its power. He takes captive the one who took us captive, condemning the condemner, sentencing the stealer, defeating the divider, and destroying the destroyer. Jesus descends to the very abode of evil, hell itself, and there proclaims his victory over it. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And there is no realm where he does not reign. And the day is coming in heaven and on earth and under the earth when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that it is so. Do you realize how much God loves you? Because he descended to the dead, we don't have to. And because he proclaimed victory, we have victory. So we can stand firm against the devil and his schemes, fully protected and more than conquerors because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's good news. He was crucified, died, and was buried. And he descended to the dead because God loves us that much. That much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing, unending, and all-consuming love that out of your love for us, you created us in your image and likeness to know your love, to share in your love, to love you back just as you love us. And even in our rebellion against you and your design, you never give up on us. You don't quit, but you pursue us. You come after us. And you gave your very best for us in your son who suffered and died for us on the cross that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And we thank you that you have removed our sin as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more, that it is finished and that you have raised us with him in his resurrection and that your spirit lives within us and gives life to us and makes us more and more like him every day. So Lord, that's what we ask. As we come to you, Jesus, at your table through the bread and the wine, would you pour out your love in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would know who we are because of who you are that you would replace fear with your love, that you would replace sin and shame and guilt with your love. 
in whatever ways, Lord, we need to be aligned with you and live for you. Lord, would you make it come true today? We surrender to you, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for you reign in our lives in this place and over all of heaven and earth.